Thank you. I'm happy to be here today. I'm a, a North Carolina State alum, so I was happy to uh, come back and participate in this event. Um, my topic today is biodiesel, as Tobin said. Um, we have a pretty significant R&D effort and evaluation effort related to biodiesel at the lab. Um, there are, I know quite a few fleets here in the audience uh, receiving awards today that have uh, real-world operating experience with biodiesel as well. So I know there are um, quite a few resources here um, in this meeting today. Next slide. In case you're not familiar with NREL, as Tobin said, we're in uh, Golden, Colorado, beautiful part of the world, another beautiful part of the world. Um, established by the Department of Energy in 1977, um, as you might expect, our programs cross the whole range of technologies from solar, wind, buildings, uh, to fuels and vehicles. Uh, we work across, again, across the spectrum of basic R&D all the way to uh, implementation of technology in the marketplace. Our Center for Transportation Technologies and Systems has three groups, one that focuses on vehicle systems and components, including um, hybrids and plug-in hybrids. Uh, the Fuels Performance Group, which is where a lot of the biodiesel research has happened. Um, the Refuel Vehicle Lab, uh, which stands for the Re Renewable Fuels and Lubes Lab, is a heavy-duty um, engine and chassis dynamometer lab. Uh, in Denver, where we can run uh, heavy-duty vehicles on biodiesel and other fuels, we've done um, quite a few tests there. And then the technology evaluation and integration team, uh, my group, focuses more on support, as Tobin said, to um, local governments and fleets that are trying to put these technologies to use. We work with the Clean Cities program and the regulated fleets, the federal and state fleets that um, have to live with the EPEC regulations. Next slide. So what is biodiesel? Again, I'm sure there are lots of people in the room who can answer this question, but um, biodiesel is a fuel that's made in a chemical reaction between an, an oil, primarily uh, in, in the current market, soy oil, um, and an alcohol. Uh, again, currently in the market, it's mostly methanol, to produce uh, methyl ester um, in a chemical reaction with a catalyst. Uh, it must meet, there's an ASTM standard that sets out fuel properties and quality, um, which is really important for biodiesel. It, it addresses 100% neat uh, biodiesel, pure bio, biodiesel. There's not currently a standard for B20 or lower blends, although that's being developed. Typically used in blends of 20% or less. Um, and there is, as Steve was just talking about, the tax credits, there's a very favorable um, economic picture for biodiesel as well because of the, this tax credit that was passed in uh, uh, 2004. Next slide. So if that's what biodiesel is, what is it not? Um, it's not unrefined or straight vegetable oil without any processing or used cooking oil. We've all heard stories of people using straight um, restaurant oil or uh, other straight vegetable oil in vehicles, but it's not recommended. Um, it does have different properties, including a different boiling point and viscosity, which can lead to uh, engine wear over time. Um, this is a link is that gonna work? to a publication that's on our website that has some information about this. And you'll notice in several of my slides I've got these links, and I think, there it is. Did I hear that the presentations are going to be posted somewhere so you can get to those? Next slide. 
Um, biodiesel is primarily used in this country as a blending stock at 20%. Um, this is really driven by the EPAC uh, Energy Policy Act of 1992, which was subsequently uh, modified in uh, 1998 that allowed biodiesel to use to count as a credit towards um, acqu uh, vehicle acquisitions under EPAC. So regulated fleets, federal, state, and fuel provider fleets can get credit for using biodiesel um, as one of their requirements under EPAC. Um, lots of other fleets, public and private fleets, in addition to consumers, um, are using B20 in uh, diesel vehicles around the country. It's also being used in lower level blends, B2 and B5 uh, predominantly. Um, for a variety of reasons, it has good lubricity properties, and it's being used in, a, in blends with low sulfur diesel fuel, which has lower lubricity. Um, several states have either enacted or are considering requirements for blending 2% uh, or 5% uh, biodiesel in their diesel sales in their, in their states. Uh, there's very limited use of B100, um, which should be 100% biodiesel, uh, primarily because of uh, cold flow and other properties um, doesn't work well in cold weather. Next slide. Uh, this slide shows the production and shows how the, the, the production of biodiesel has grown. This is 2005, 75 million gallons produced in, in um, 2005. Estimates for 2006 from a couple different sources are 250 to 300 million gallons produced last year, so that would be way up here somewhere. Um, and NREL did a study a few years ago that looked at the potential for biodiesel production using current feedstocks over the next 10 years. And um, have, we've estimated that we could produce about um, 1.7 billion gallons a year, which represents about 5% of the diesel um, sales in the country. So again, it's part of the uh, set of solutions that we can employ to make a dent in our use of petroleum. I uh, don't think I'll spend a lot of time here. This is the uh, tax credit that Steve was talking about for biodiesel. It is a dollar a gallon, so that works out in a blend to a penny per percent of the blend. So for B20, it's a 20 cent per gallon credit for B2, two, two, per, uh, two cent per gallon. And it's half that for recycled oils. You get the full credit if it's made from um, original agricultural um, oil feed stocks. Half that if it's from recycled materials. Next slide. Some uh, operational considerations. Biodiesel has really favorable um, fuel properties, has a high cetane number, uh, ultra low sulfur, high lubricity, as I mentioned earlier. It does have poor um, cold flow properties, again, which is one of the reasons it's not typically used as 100% neat fuel. Um, I mentioned this ASTM standard. This is really important um, when it comes to biodiesel with all fuels, of course. Um, uh, regular biodiesel, I mean, regular petroleum-based diesel has its standards, too. It's important for any fuel to meet the appropriate standards, and this is the one that governs um, biodiesel. Uh, no engine modification is required, so uh, B20 and below you can use in existing diesel vehicles. Uh, there is a slightly reduced fuel economy, 100% uh, straight biodiesel has about 10% lower energy content per gallon. Um, that's typically in a smaller blend, it's usually not noticed, I'll talk about some fleet studies we've done later. But fleets don't typically notice that um, in real day-to-day uh, -day use. We see it in the laboratory, if you're running a dyno test you can see it. 
Um, and some other uh, positive aspects here, there's a, a much lower particulate matter soot production with biodiesel, so um, there's some uh, improved maintenance and re uh, related to oil changes. Um, warranty coverage varies by manufacturer. The National Biodiesel Board on their website has links to all the warranty statements from uh, the manufacturers. So that's always good to check out um, their official statements on the warranty issues. Emissions benefits. Uh, there's broad agreement. Oops, I'm in trouble. Um, just got my five-minute warning. Uh, broad agreement on emission reductions um, when it comes to particulate matter, uh, carbon monoxide, hydrocarbons, toxics. Life cycle analyses also confirm um, carbon uh, CO2 reductions, as well as a positive energy balance. There's been a lot of lot more focus on the energy balance with ethanol than biodiesel, but um, there's very uh, positive energy balance for biodiesel. There's less um, less agreement on NOx. Next slide. Uh, we've done quite a bit of work on this question of NOx. Uh, there was an EPA report in 2002 that gathered together quite a few studies and um, concluded there was about a 2% increase in NOx due to uh, B20 use. Um, we've looked farther than that out in the literature, and there's actually mixed results. There are some studies that show that it goes up, some that shows that it goes down. We've tested some of our own vehicles. About uh, We've tested eight different heavy-duty vehicles, school buses, transit buses, et cetera, um, and have seen that same kind of variability from 1% to 2% increase to 1% to 2% decrease. Um, so at this point, we don't think there's um, a consistent message from the studies to, to show that there's either an increase or a de decrease um, in NOx. Um, EPA has kicked off a new... Uh, study, collaborative study that we're participating in to look at a, a new round of tests on um, engines including the more um, contemporary engines that meet current emission standards and see if we can clarify this. There's not, not an understanding about why um, NOx would go, it goes up or goes down in these engines. Next slide. We've also done some recent work on um, Biodiesel blended with ultra-low sulfur diesel in a 2002 Cummins engine with um, DPF, uh, diesel particulate filter equipment added. Um, and we've seen really significant uh, further reductions in PM um, ranging from 20 to 70 uh, percent using B20 or B5 in um, engines with ultra-low sulfur diesel and particulate traps. So we think this is a really positive result here. Um, we've done some further digging on where this is coming from, and it's um, being driven by the soot itself. The soot that's produced uh, using biodiesel has a different structure and is more reactive than the soot produced from regular diesel or ultra-low sulfur diesel, and it um, makes the regeneration of the filter happen faster, so there's um, reduced particulate matter coming out the other end. And again, there was a link right here. Uh, the results, all these... Uh, results are available on our website. Next slide. Uh, I mentioned earlier we do fleet evaluations with vehicles operating in real-world real fleets. We've completed two in the last year or so, one with the Denver Regional Transit District, which involved nine of these skip buses, five on biodiesel and uh, B20, and four on regular diesel. There's another one that we did with the Postal Service in Miami. We looked at these Ford um, cargo 
trucks and um, some Mac Class 8 tractors. Um, and the interesting thing with this project is we, uh, th these vehicles were ready to be um, taken out of service, so they pulled the engines and fuel systems to do a complete teardown to look for any signs of wear. Next slide. Here are the results from the RTD study. This is um, fuel economy over here. As you can see, there's no significant difference noticed, as I mentioned earlier, um, on fuel economy in the field. Um, we did bring these buses into the lab and tested them, and that's where I mentioned um, we did see a 2% reduction in fuel economy on a standard drive cycle on a dynamometer, but it's not noticeable in uh, the fuel records of the fleet. Maintenance costs we looked at uh, were also not significantly different. Um, the blue line here, the darker one, is the diesel, and they actually had higher maintenance costs early in the test period. This was a two-year test where we collected data for these fleets. Um, and there was one incident here, that's probably hard to see, this green line is the biodiesel. Um, there's one incident down here where they had to replace fuel injectors, but that was not um, judged to be related to the biodiesel. So um, the conclusion was that there was no difference, um, significant difference in the um, maintenance costs for um, the biodiesel buses. Next slide. Here's the results on the postal service. The Mack trucks um, had similar maintenance costs also until this one event here. There was a failure in the um, fuel injectors. And when the engine was taken apart, it was found that there was a significant buildup of sludge inside the engine on, this, on the cylinder heads. Um, and it was uh, looked back through the fueling records and we, uh, it was concluded that there was some out-of-spec fuel that was, it was a fuel quality issue. And uh, because those Mack engines are so big and recirculate so much fuel, there had been a buildup of sludge. So this points back to the, to the uh, critical importance of making sure you're buying um, in-spec fuel. The Fords, uh, the, the cargo vans, um, uh, had sh the, the data showed slightly higher maintenance costs for the biodiesel, but it was not, I can't remember exactly what it was now, but it was not judged to be related to the biodiesel. So the conclusion there was that from the difference of the, the fuels, there was no significant difference in um, maintenance costs there. And from a wear point of view, when we dismantled these engines, um, all of the wear patterns and amounts of wear and the patterns were all um, considered normal for the mileage. So there was no difference in engine wear either due to biodiesel use. Next slide. We've also supported uh, NBB's fleet evaluation team. They have their own um, project where they've been looking at data from several fleet studies through the years. Um, they've produced some technical recommendations down at the bottom based on these uh, fleet studies. Um, some of the things that we've already talked about here. <coughs> Excuse me. This ensuring a homogeneous product relates to blending and storage. Um, we have seen um, a fair amount of variability in storage tanks, so uh, making sure your distributor is paying attention to complete blending in the truck and, and um, in the tank is important. Um, avoiding long-term storage, there can be uh, biological contamination that grows in biodiesel if it's kept for a long time. So they recommend not storing biodiesel for more than six months. Next slide. Uh, I think we've covered all of these things at various times, and I know I'm out of time. Uh, next slide. So just a few uh, good information resources. All of our publications are up on the NREL website. The Alternative Fuels Data Center, which we uh, manage for DOE, 
has a variety of information related to incentives, um, fuel station locations, handling and use guidelines for all of the alternative fuels, not just biodiesel. Um, if you're part of a regulated fleet, uh, there's that website which provides resources there. And of course, the National Biodiesel Board is also a great resource. They have uh, lots of information on their website. Thanks.